Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast, Jerry and Steve with you. Jar, today we're doing another round of Rush Origin Stories. I'm very excited. Yeah, you know, people love Rush Origin Stories. They love to hear how their fellow Rush fans got into Rush. Yeah, this could just be the podcast. This could be the podcast. That's exactly right, Steve. (laughs) It's a new direction. When we run out of ideas, this is all we'll do. That's all we're going to do. Just pull people off the street. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro and outro. And Jerry's got a great email to get us started. I know he does. I do. This is an email from Hillman. Hillman. Hey, Hillman. Great name. Love it. And it's about our episode with Donna Halper. Do you remember what episode number that was, Steve? I have no idea. Number 70. Oh, okay. 70. So he says, I just wanted to say how much I love listening to you guys on my daily walks around Lake Hefner in Oklahoma City. It brings me a different perspective of Rush during every episode. I've been a lifelong fan of them since about age six or seven when my father first introduced me to them. As for the episode in question, I wanted to remark on being a Rush fan and my own personal journey with listening to the band. Being a follower of the band has no labels, in my opinion. It's more of a spiritual thing for me. During times of sadness or stress or hardships, they've always been that one constant that brings my soul back to front and center. And with Neil's lyrics and his master percussion abilities, just wakes up that music in my soul that is normally trapped with no outlet. Also, I miss Neil a lot. January 10th, 2020 is a day I will never forget. The day we found out, my best friend Robert was the one who contacted me as soon as he saw it on the news. The day I found out he had passed, my father was the first one I contacted. He had no idea as he almost never looks at his phone while working, and life has never been the same since. At completely random times, I'll find emotions I never thought I had while listening to their music, and sometimes tears. To say that I love Rush and these three guys is a complete understatement. It is a way of life for me, and I'm sure for millions of others as well. So for people to have certain criteria or having seen so many live shows under their belts, are they really fans or just people who say that they are, but have to have a label on it to justify it? I appreciate you guys listening to what I have to say. P.S. I love Tom Sawyer, even though it isn't a daily choice for my Rush playlist. I'm more akin to the camera eye and witch hunt, to name a few of the deeper cuts. Again, thank you and Steve for every single podcast. It always makes my day when I see that weekly email in my inbox. Thanks, Hillman. Appreciate the email. I thought he was going to say something about Donna Halper. I guess not. Well, I think listening to that episode just brought to mind his Rush fandom and he wanted to just share it with us. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Hillman, for the email. We really appreciate it. Well, Steve, you know, I appreciate every email, not just this one. So, Jar, our first guest today is from Danny Coleman's Rock on Radio, the host of Danny Coleman's Rock on Radio. Of course, it's Danny Coleman. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Yay! I love it. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Fantastic. Danny, you know what we're here to ask you. What is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? Well, when I was in high school, so we're looking at probably 78, 79, my uh, sophomore, between my sophomore and junior year or freshman and sophomore year of high school, I was in the high school band, marching band, concert band, Mm -hmm. and we had a drum line that was fantastic and because I'm a drummer. And there were a couple of of the seniors that were graduating were talking about this band Rush. I was thinking they were talking about Mahogany Rush. <laughs> and I don't know. Nah, nah, Frank Marino, I've heard of Frank. No, 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 no. So one of my fellow classmates said to me, no, you got to listen to this guy, man. This guy is fantastic. And of course, it was Neil. So I think the very first Rush song I ever heard was Working Man if I remember correctly. And I'm like, working man. All right. Well, of course that was John Rutsey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, no, 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 no. Listen to these albums. And I think the next tune I heard was uh, La Via Strangiato. And I was like, oh man, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I had that little Looney Tunes reference in there mm-hmm. and I was blown away. So I just started gobbling up all the rush that I could. And then in 79, late 79 or early 1980, whatever it was, Permanent Waves came out and that's it. I was done. I heard Spirit of Radio. I said, that's it. I have got to see these guys. 
And did you? Were you able to see them on that tour? I saw them on the Permanent Waves tour in 1980 and every tour since. Wow. Yeah, I, I uh, gosh, I, I wouldn't miss them. I, I, I wouldn't miss them for the world. At least once I had to go. So did that change your perspective seeing them live, Danny? You loved them when you heard the songs, but when you saw them live, how did that change things? I have never in my lifetime. Now, as I told you, Steve, I, you know, I've had lead poisoning since I was 12. I mean, John Bonham, Led Zeppelin, that was it, man. You know? Hold on for a second. I was just like, oh my God, that's a terrible story. You've had lead poisoning since you were 12? No, they got in my veins when I was 12. Thanks to my older cousin giving me Led Zeppelin four, and they've never left. And so then that whole debate arose at school between, oh, who's better, Neil Bird or John Bonham? And, ah, well, whatever. Either I love them both, and I love Carl Palmer as well. But when, um, and I got off on a tangent. I'm sorry, Steve. What was the question? <laughs> the question was, did your perspective on Rush change after you saw them live? That first time I saw them, I didn't know where to look. If you watch Getty, you're missing what Alex is doing. If you're looking at either of them, you're missing Neil. So, of course, as a drummer, I was more fixated upon Neil. But with every tour, it just it's like they're like a three-ring circus. <laughs> you never know where to look. I, it wasn't until they introduced the mammoth video screens in the uh, – well, what tour was that? Um, I can't remember when the first screen, the real huge screens like they all use now came out where you could actually watch two different people at once, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was kind of a struggle even, but just seeing the way they interacted on stage and how tight they were and how it was basically, here it is, man, here's the music. We're not dealing with gadgetry. We're not dealing with this, that, or the other thing. It, here's the music. And the fact that they could recreate it so close to the recordings was just incredible to me. Yeah, it is. I think I once described, Steve, what song was it that I described as a, as a magic trick? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, was it Natural Science? I think so, yeah. <laughs> how it's like, how is it possible that they could do this thing right in front of our eyes? Even if you think about a song like Tom Sawyer, where, where Getty's playing the, the keyboards and using his feet for the bass line and the keys up top, and then he steps back and starts playing. It's just, it's amazing I just never understood with the talent in that band, what took them so long to, to earn the respect that they deserved in the rest of the music world. Yeah. It's a, it's an absolute shame yeah. that the rock press ignored them for so long. Yeah. They had more, it was almost a cult following with very little airplay. Of course, until permanent waves came along and free will and spirit of radio dominated the airwaves. And then it kind of faded away until moving pictures put them back on the air. And then that after that, it was pretty much okay. And now they start getting airplay, but they'd already been around for 20 years <laughs> right? <laughs> or whatever it was. But yeah, they, they just, they have always just never left me without at least one jaw dropping moment. Every time I've seen them. Now I have to say, Jerry, I'm really jealous of Danny that he got to see rush on the permanent waves tour. How cool would that have been? Uh, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> actually. <laughs> so what would you say the biggest difference seeing Rush back in 1980 and seeing them 30 years later was since you saw all those tours, Danny? Well, I'm a lot old. I looked a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't standing up on the chairs anymore 30 years later. No, right? there. Oh God, I could tell you guys some stories about stuff that happened at concerts, but uh, everything from me begging my grandmother to borrow her car to go to the moving pictures tour and which she conceded finally. And then her, somebody busted her window out for a $5 oh. t-shirt. And I wound up being there at three o'clock in the morning, trying to explain that to my parents when I got home. It was <laughs> <laughs> but the, the biggest difference, I guess at towards the end, because the last show I saw was the 40th anniversary tour. And that was at the Wells Fargo in Philadelphia. And uh, my friend who I've gone to these concerts with from day one, he works for a beverage company. So we got a suite that night. Oh, wow. If you were looking at the stage, we were on the left-hand side, right in the mezzanine level. Uh, well, the, the middle there where the suites are, the suite level. 
And uh, it was just amazing to watch. But the difference, I'd say, would have to be their light show went from essentially just stage lighting to an incredible light show. The fact that as they got older, they played longer. Their set times increased. Uh, And uh, they played longer. They seemed to be more tight than ever, if that was even possible. And they actually seemed to be having fun the last few tours. You know, Alex Lifeson with the Barbie dolls on the stage with the little signs, no stairway to heaven. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the 30th anniversary tour with the washing machines and the chicken. It it was like they were kind of poking fun at certain things, but yet they were having a blast. And I just thought it was really cool that the older they got, the more relaxed and the better they got. Yeah, I never thought about that. They started playing longer. Yeah, I guess it's also a function of the fact that they had so many songs that they felt fans needed to hear or fans wanted to hear every time. Well, the 30th anniversary tour was incredible because they played at least three songs off every album, at least. So they had it to what they have at the time, 10, 12 albums. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at at least third, almost 40 songs. And most bands play 17, 18, 20, over an hour and a right. half to two hours. <laughs> Maybe a little more than two hours. Yeah, that was almost like Springsteen esque. <laughs> right. The way their set just kept going and going and going. So it must be tough for you, Danny, not being able to see Rush anymore. I know it's tough for us, but you've been experiencing this since 1980. It's a void in your life, isn't it? It, it is, actually. It really is. Uh, do you know what I feel the most sad about, though? Is that the next generation that loves Rush's music is never going to get to see them. Just like my cousin who turned me on to Led Zeppelin had a ticket for me in 77 when Plant's son passed away. Mm. And that concert got canceled. I never got to see Led Zeppelin. And it's, I mean, I've seen Robert Plant, but I've never gotten to see Led Zeppelin. I've spoken with and, and talked with Jason Bonham about his father, but I've never gotten to see Led Zeppelin. So I kind of feel sorry that there's a whole generation's not going to get to see the original Rush. Yeah. And the fact that we'll never get to see them again either. Yeah. yeah. That's a total, that's, <laughs> it's disappointing. It's awful too. Yeah. yeah, it is. Something to always look forward to every few years. You knew that Rush was going to come around. Exactly. And you know, I, I mean, so now we're not drinking Jack and Cokes and, and, eating chips in the parking lot. Maybe it's hoagies and bottled water, but it was still the same. And it didn't learn. It didn't lose anything. (laughs) There's another big change. The beers are about 30 bucks now instead of uh, (laughs) $3.95. Very true. Very true. So Danny, tell us about Danny Coleman's rock on radio. Where can we hear it? And do you play rush? Do I play rush on rock on radio? No, I do not. Rock on radio began in April of 2009, because I was a UPS driver in downtown Trenton, New Jersey for 20 years. And one morning I woke up and my back just gave out. So I had to reinvent myself. I lost my job because I had four herniated discs, blood in my spine, so on and so forth. I couldn't do the job anymore. So I went back to something in music, realizing I was at 46, I was too old to tour. <laughs> so I started to, uh, I went back to my love for radio and I started rock on radio because when I was 16, I was at a church carnival fair and I heard my music on the radio for the first time in a band I was in. It was on WPST out of Trenton. Oh yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Well, they had an unsigned heroes contest back in 1977, I think. And my band went in the studio, recorded three songs, sent them there, and we wound up winning. So, and I didn't, the first time I ever heard my music on the radio, somebody had to tell me it was on. And sure enough, I thought, you know, what a feeling. I had chills, head to toe. And I thought, if I can give other musicians, being a musician myself, if I could give other musicians that feeling of hearing themselves on the radio, I want to do it. So I started Rock On Radio, and I feature unsigned indie bands in a two-hour in-studio interview. And uh, they play live. They I play stuff off their discs or 
MP3s or whatever they send me, downloads. And you get to learn a little bit more about them as, as people, as a band. There's some comedy. I have a great crew. I have my producer, Claire, who you met, Steve, at Vogel, and my engineer, Art, who just came back and it will be back in full time the end of this month from battling cancer since January. So I got a great group. And off of that spun the Rock on Radio Indie Hour, where I play an hour of indie music. And I have a blues show that airs on uh, Mercer County Community College, their station, and a station out of Tom's River. It's called Danny Coleman's Got the Blues. It's an hour of blues music. Oh, nice. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to be a part of your show? I'm sure we've got some unsigned bands out there that listen to our show. We'd love to get in touch with you. That's fantastic. If they want to be on Rock on Radio, I've had guests come from as far away as Key West. They happen to be coming up here to tour, and they booked an appearance around the time they were going to be in the area. I've had bands come down from Albany, uh, Syracuse, uh, all over the place. So if they're going to be in the area, I'd love to have them on the show. They can get in touch with me by going to my website, which is dcror.com, which uh, that's the quick link for Danny Coleman's rockonradio.com. And they can email me through there or send me a message, sign up, whatever they want to do, and I'll get back to them. Either myself, I answer 99.9% of the messages. If not me, it's Claire. And by in the area, you mean New Jersey, correct? Yeah. Well, if they're coming through, I mean, I can accommodate days and times. I don't know how much travel I can accommodate, but I'll be there. Or if they want to send me music, they can send it to the website as well for my indie hour. I play indie music from literally all over the globe. Awesome. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining us today on the Rush Fancast and sharing your Rush origin story. We really appreciate it. Well, gentlemen, thank you. I, I, I'm, I was honored to do it. You guys are great. Good stuff you got going on here, man. So, Jerry, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but I met Danny at Lex's band's record release party at the Vogel in Red Bank. That's right. I couldn't go. I really wanted to go, but I just couldn't go. And Lex said, you got to meet this guy, Danny. He's a huge Rush fan. And we were talking for like a half hour. And I said, well, we got to get you on the podcast to do your Rush origin story. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. That was cool. Yeah. Very cool. I always love hearing the stories of Rush fans who are older than me because they experienced right. something I didn't get to experience. And that's just cool. And that's getting rarer and rarer. Steve. <laughs> That's true. The older we get. How many people are older than us? Not that many. <laughs> Almost all our guests are younger than us. That's true. That's true. So, Jar, our next guest wears many hats, entertainment personality, actress, spokesperson, interviewer, pinup model, lead vocalist of two bands, Superhero and Daisy Train. On Instagram, she is Rush Fanatic. Kathy Rankin, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Hi, you guys are making me sound way better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we're going to ask you, Kathy? What is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Okay, so that's kind of a funny story. I have, uh, I am one of four siblings and I'm the baby in the family. And I only have one brother, one older brother, and he is your typical engineer, mathematical type, very smart guy. And in high school, I was just in grade school. So I was pretty little. And my mom would force him to drive me to school every day. And we did not get along when we were kids. He, I was the annoying little bratty sister. I was the baby of the family. So, you know, I, everything I did bugged him. So when he would drive me to school, um, it was right around when moving pictures came out. So it was about 81, 82. And he knew that it scared me. I mean, I think of a fairly young girl at that time. I saw that album cover and the artwork and it kind of freaks me out. I didn't know what to think of it. And then the music he listened to was pretty heavy. So it was, you know, pretty intense for, for that age. And he would blast it. And he had this Jeep, he would take the top down, you know, to piss me off even more so that my hair was blowing all over. And I would lay down in the back seat and cover my ears because he would blast it just to get at me. And I remember we would go through the crossing guard, this lady that, you know, at the school zone, and she would shake her fist at him and she gets so mad. 
but what happened is secretly, like I was scared of it and I didn't know what to think of Getty Lee's voice at first, which is funny because now I love it so much, but, um, but secretly I, Tom Sawyer just got me and I loved it. And so I deep down wanted to listen to it. And then it wasn't until maybe, you know, a few years go by, I finally get in high school and I had a really good guy friend who was always drawing 2112 and the red star and all that over his notebook. And so that's kind of when I started discovering some of the older stuff. And then as I got later into high school around my senior year, I just was completely obsessed by that point. So I'm sure witch hunt must have driven you insane when you were a little <laughs> child, right? Of course you picked the one song that I wasn't <laughs> as thrilled about on moving pictures. But my actual my actual favorite song of that uh, album was Camera Eye. So the Camera Eye. So where did you go in your Rush fandom after that? Did you go out and buy all the albums? I didn't buy all the albums right then. I well, more I had cassette tapes at that time. So I had the cassette tapes and then when they had when they toured for Hold Your Fire, that was I believe 88 and I was a senior in high school or maybe just graduating. And um, I'm giving away my old age. <laughs> and I wanted to go to the concert. And I distinctly, it was at Veterans Memorial Coliseum here in Arizona. I'm in Arizona. And I remember I could not find any of my friends to go with me. Nobody would go with me, certainly no girls. And I really didn't know anybody else in my school who was into Rush. And so I went by myself <laughs> to Hold Your Fire. Is that one of your favorite albums, Hold Your Fire, or do you have a, a favorite era? It's not. I just, by that time, I really loved Rush, and I wanted so badly to see them. And that was the tour they were doing. After that, of course, I went to more tours or more shows. And, um, you know, that's, I think after that is when I started, I bought all their albums on vinyl. So I have, like, most of the collection. I mean, I'm sure there's people that have way more stuff than I do, but I've got a pretty good collection. Now you're in two bands, Kathy. Do you incorporate any Rush into your music at all? Do you play any Rush songs? Do you have Rush influences in your music? <laughs> I'm trying so hard. So they're cover bands and uh, we're very well established. So we do a lot of corporate events, festivals, things like that. And it's not, you know, if we busted out too many Rush songs, we'd probably be axed. Um <laughs> But I've got him. I do have my band convinced. I think we could get away with doing Tom Sawyer. And for fun, uh, my guitarist, John, who's in the band, who's also my boyfriend, we, during COVID, during the lockdown, we did an acoustic version of Tears. And it was really fun, really cool. We just, I don't play bass. I'm not a bass player by any stretch of the imagination, but I learned enough to just get through the song just because it needed a few bass notes. So I did as much as I could on that and sang it. And we posted that and it, it kind of went viral in the Rush groups. It got shared. I think it got like 42,000 views or something. And so I, I keep pushing now. I'm like, we either need to do another acoustic version and just put it out on my YouTube channel or, but I'm really hoping that I can get a couple of songs slipped into our set at some point. It would have to be the more popular Rush songs. What songs do you think would make a good acoustic version? Some song you didn't think would, would work, but actually works. Well, I don't want to give away one that we already started working on because we want it to be a surprise. But the song that after we did Tears, I got a lot of requests uh, and I'm still getting requests from people who are like, when are you going to do the next acoustic version of something? And the one I want to do, and a lot of people actually requested it, is Different Strings. So that would be the next one I think that I'd like to do. And I, I personally want to do fly by night. It's one of my favorite vocals. It's very, very high. So it's hard for a lot of people to sing, but it fits my range. So that's one I'd really love to do acoustically. And we've messed around with it. Now you must've been a very early adopter of Instagram to get the Instagram handle at rush fanatic. How did you score that? <laughs> you know what? That was so accidental because now I look back and I, and I think was because, because of what I do for a living, I probably should have just grabbed my name as my <laughs> handle. Right. 
But at the time, I didn't know anything about social media. To be honest, I hate social media. I have to do it for for what I do for a career. But um, I just, I'm such a huge Rush fan. Everything I do is, I incorporate Rush into pretty much everything somehow. I've got license plates that say Rush on them and all kinds of goofy stuff. But um, so I just... I was like, oh, well, I'll just do at Rush Fanatic because I'm a huge Rush fan. So I, I don't know. I guess I was pretty early to the game. I didn't actually use Instagram that much back then, though. But now I'm glad I have it. Yeah, it is a really cool handle. We should have tried to grab something like that, Steve. We should have. <laughs> you never think about stuff like that when you're signing up for a social media network, right? Right. I know. You know, I, I, when I signed up, I did never think I would even use it that much. But it's become the the new world way of advertising. I mean, old school advertising is done. It's all social media. Do you have a favorite era of Rush, would you say, or you just love it all? The earlier stuff. For me, I love, I mean, I obviously as Rush fans, we all get asked, what are your top five albums? And I hate that question because it's, it's almost impossible to, it's like trying to pick your favorite child, but for me, it was, I love the first album and that's just such straight rock and I loved their sound. But for me, I would say 2112, even starting with Crest of Steel, which had a couple of great songs, but uh, I'd say 2112 all the way through to Hold Your Fire. That's when they started getting, you know, there was that whole era I like to call the lost years, you know, all of us fans you know, a lot of people made fun of them when they started adding too much synthesizer and, you know, they were trying to do the videos on MTV and stuff. And it was yeah. kind of not real rush, but, um, but, you know, you, they're so great at their craft. It's like, whatever they do, I like, but that wouldn't be my favorite era. I thought when they came back with um, Clockwork Angels, I thought that was a phenomenal album. That's when I was like, oh, this sounds like rush to me again. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your rush origin story. We can find out more about you at Kathy Is that correct? Yeah. Kathy or just go to uh, search me on YouTube or go to my Instagram. And now we have to check out your version of tears on YouTube, right? Oh yeah. Go check it out. Don't be too critical. Remember I'm not a bass player <laughs> <laughs> and there might've been some drinks involved. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us today and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Jared, last week we heard Leone Jane Kennedy's version of Tears, and today we find out that Kathy Rankin has a version of Tears. Who knew? I know. That seems to be the go-to cover these days, right? Yeah, so we'll have to dig that up, and maybe what we can do is tack it on to the end of the episode so our listeners can hear it. Yeah, it's a great idea. And Kathy, of course, had a version of The Brother origin story but a scary (laughs) sort of twist to it right (laughs) that's true it is a you know it is an intimidating looking album the black with the red i can see how as a child you might be afraid of it and then when you get to witch hunt geez yeah all bets are off then you're 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 sent crying into your room by yourself so as i said kathy wears many hats and you can check her out at kathyrankin.com one thing on her website that i saw i don't know if you saw this jer but she has a poster you remember that Farrah Fawcett poster that was out in the eighties of her in the, uh, yeah, in the red, sure do. in the red <laughs> bathing suit. Yep. So Kathy recreated that poster and instead of Farrah Fawcett, it's her. Oh, I'm going to have to uh, track that down, I guess. Tack it up on your wall. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I did have that poster on my wall when I was younger. So me too. Me too. So joining us next to tell us his rush origin story, Jar is drummer motivational speaker, transformational leader, and host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast, Jeff Aiken. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you so much. It is a true pleasure and an honor to be here. I am uh, fanboying a little bit. I really, really (laughs) love your podcast and I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you and you know the question we're going to ask, Jeff, what is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Well, it was uh, right about August of 1990 when I first heard them. So I was three years old. Wow. Really? <laughs> no. no. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was a freshman in high school. I wish. 
I think, well, and really it's one of the, I think I had heard Rush throughout my life. My dad was really into what we now call classic rock at the time. It was just rock, you know, mm-hmm. but grew up really exposed to a lot of really awesome music, but it was at band camp heading in my freshman year to marching band when the other guys in the drum line were like, so, uh, what, what's your favorite rush album? Not, do you listen to Rush? <laughs> <laughs> it was assumed, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, uh, and so my dad had a cassette of signals and I'm like, so uh, like the next day at band camp, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite rush album that I've kind of played a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> played the first three songs of. Yeah. And, uh, but then like, that was the crash course, you know, I mean, that was the language that we spoke in drumline was, it was all rush all the time. So this was 1990. And so presto was the newest record that was out and we were just coming up on, on roll to bones. So I think as a fan, it was a really cool time, you know, to dive in head first. Cause you've talked about before and others that that power windows roll to bones ish period is, um, polarizing mm-hmm, i think yes. is yeah <laughs> but to come in and be kind of introduced at that time it was just like well this is this is rush like it's not right. this era or that era it's yeah, this is rush and it's great yeah you can uh approach it with a different mindset because you haven't been indoctrinated so to speak in the metal or the proggy side you just came in on in this window and that's the view you have yeah yeah, we went and I mean, so there was myself and two others in the, in the drum line that were kind of the, I guess the cool, the cool kids, the cool kids <laughs> in the, in the marching band, you know, so put your hierarchy in place, you know, apply your subdivisions lens to, uh, to that one. But we went and we got Chronicles, you know, and they had the Chronicles two VHS mm-hmm. tape set and yeah. we wore that, that bad boy out and. I just became obsessed. You know, I think part of it was just being young like that and wanting more than anything to be a professional musician, which I was for about eight minutes after, uh, after high school and everything. And then I decided I liked eating (laughs) (laughs) succumbed to corporate America, but I'll never forget. It was, I think about my sophomore, junior year, my mom just was, I mean, she loves pop music, right? Rod Stewart was one of her favorites and you know, nothing, nothing against Rod Stewart, but you know, Rod Stewart and Rush, they, they drive to different parking lots at the end of the day. And so right. I was, I was watching a show of hands and it got to, you know, every drummer's like, you know, the, the drum solo and oh my God. And it's that moment when lights go down and he's just playing on the snare drum going. And my mom walked through the living room and she stopped and she said, I get it. I get it now. And I was like, you get it? You understand Rush? She's like, no, no, no. She's like, I get why you like them now. <laughs> Which was a huge win, you know? It's like, right. that's so cool. So after marching band, Jeff, you stuck with the drums, didn't you? Yeah, I still play to this very day. And Neil, of course, was an inspiration for you, I'm sure. The, the inspiration. You know, I, I was a budding musician in the early 90s. And technologically, that was a fascinating time we had things like video cameras and we had a ton of live tapes that we could watch. You know I mean? Before then there were a hand, you know, because as as rush fans, we know you had like exit stage left and you're like, we get to watch them. Oh my goodness. Now it's like every time, every single show that every band plays anywhere, there's a video of, and that, that hunger that we used to have was so exciting. And I had as a young drummer, I had a show of hands exit stage left. And then as a big kiss fan as well. So I'd watch a live three, but I would watch the drummers. I watch Neil and then Eric singer. But then when I played, I would set up my dad's camcorder behind me and I would try to like mimic the movements that they were making. Now I could kind of get pretty close to Eric singer. I've been playing now for close to 40 years. I've been playing the drums and you know, sometimes, sometimes I can match Neil. <laughs> <laughs> So as a starting out as a drummer in the drum line, did you particularly like Neil's work on the, on the snare drum when he would just attack the snare drum? You know, I hated being in drum line. <laughs> I think there's great stuff you learn there, the rudiments, the basics, the stuff. And it's fun to take that stuff across the kit. In fact, 
Neil would even talk in some of the interviews about, you know, Hey, for this part of the solo or whatever, I'm going to do some rudiments around my kit and do things and just go to the basics, which was cool. And looking back, I could appreciate it, but being 14, like 13, 14 years old, I was just like, this is so lame. Like I only have one drum here. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Right. But then you watch Neil go to town on the snare drum or whatever. I'm like, Oh, I can do that. And if you remember too, even before he went and studied, you know, under Freddie Gruber, he would go to the traditional grip with his uh, sticks when he did that piece. And it was just like, ah, he's switching grips. It's so amazing. That's almost more than my 13 year old brain could, you know, handle like, oh my gosh, girls and Neil Peart. (laughs) Good deal. It's almost like learning that you can actually use math in your everyday life, right? Seeing something like that. Exactly. It's exactly. I remember walking into, I remember, I forget what year it was, but I had science class right after percussion class. And so I'd walk in, there's a nerdy drummers. We have stick bags. So like a special bag that carries all of our drumsticks in it. And my science teacher was like, what's that for your calculator? He's like, no, no, these are my (laughs) drumsticks. (laughs) And he's like, oh, you're the, you do drums. He's like, you must be really good at math. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then going back, it's, and I think even Neil said that, you know, playing a live rush show is like running a marathon and doing quantum physics all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. So you were introduced to rush in 1990. Is there a particular era of rush that you gravitate towards, or are you just a fan of rush from beginning to end across the board? I made a decision probably in 10th grade that I'd never needed any other music except the music Rush created. (laughs) I was like, everything I ever want to listen to, they have here. If I want, like, if I want something that's got some deep kind of bass stuff, I can listen to Mystic Rhythms. If I want something metal and pretty heavy, I can go back to the the first record, or I can go to, you know, to the the old fly-by-night stuff. And if I want something a little lighter, this I can listen to Presto, lighter, like Presto is sonically lighter. (laughs) (laughs) kind of a thing. And so I decided at that point, I don't ever need to like any other band whatsoever because I I like it all. I will kind of go through different phases, you know, of what I like, like like today, right now, I'm really into counterparts and test for echo. Like that, like moment in rush is just, I don't know. That's where I am today. Next week, who knows? It could be anything else. Right. I wonder if people who get into rush, later in Rush's career, like more of their music than people who got into it earlier. What do you think about that? That would make sense, right? You know, I mean, because I think, like I said, I came in in the middle. I didn't know it was the middle, you know, right. at the time. Yeah. But but like we'd watch that Chronicles VHS set and they had like a video for Closer to the Heart that was filmed the same time they did the Xanadu recording. And you watch that. And, I mean, the music, right? It's amazing. But you watch that, especially as a teenager, and you're like, those guys look like, idiots <laughs> like, <laughs> what are they doing and i think that paints a thing where if i had started listening at day one of rush of course they look like that you know of course they're d- making those choices but i think coming in the middle i can appreciate the music and look at the style choices and other things a little differently i think also like many people i listened to the earlier rush and i went out and I bought Ayn Rand novels or books or tomes or whatever. Oh, I'm going to read this stuff. And I'm going to think I'm so smart because I'm reading these things. But I think that I had more rush to listen to, you know? And so it was like, yeah, that was a part of what rush did. I mean, to this day, there are rush fans who are on both sides, either this is what they're all about. You know, it's all about this or the ones who were like, well, they're, Neil Peart was a horrible person who thought horrible things. Like, no, like he was a person like everyone else who yeah. evolved and his thoughts changed. I got to come in as a fan in the middle, like where he was going through a transformation and not only what he was thinking about and writing about, but also how the band was constructing their songs and their songwriting was really, really at a new evolutionary state when I came in. So yeah, I would guess that yes, coming in later gives you more of a appreciation for the whole. So Jeff, like us, you are a podcaster. Your podcast is called the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast, which is a Star Trek podcast. Would you say there's a correlation between Rush fans and Star Trek fans? Do they intersect there? Well, I like to think that it's a Star Trek podcast 
or a leadership podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. I take two great tastes that taste great together <laughs> and bring them and two really nerdy tastes at that, right? Like if you want to talk about leadership and Star Trek. <laughs> But I think if you want to ask if there's overlap, look no further than CygnusX1.net, right? Yep. And like, just, I mean, that is the destination for Rush and Star Trek. It's incredible. But I also think thematically, there are incredible, incredible overlaps between the two. I teach leadership through Star Trek because teaching leadership tends to be super boring. It's usually some dude in a suit trying to make himself sound more important than he really is. And make a bunch of concepts sound more complex than they really are. But you listen to a Rush song and you're like, oh my gosh, I can lead based on the things they're teaching here. I start a lot of the people that I consult with, with the very simple line out of free will, right? When you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice because you two have had jobs, right? We still do, I think. Yeah, right? <laughs> How often are you like, hey boss, I need a decision on this thing. And then six months later, you're like, I still need a decision on this. One of the things that drives me the most just absolutely batty around managers and leaders is they're so afraid to make decisions. But what I try to tell the people I work with is by avoiding that decision, you're still making a choice. So why don't you just make, make the decision, like just do it. You know, I don't know. There's just so much wisdom in, in everything that rush has that. I mean, you can, you can learn a lot just about being a good human being you know, period. But I also think that part of being a good leader is being a good human being. Right. And that those kinds of ideas are definitely mirrored in the Star Trek universe as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of next gen personally. So that's my sweet spot of Star Trek. I don't know what yours is. Deep Space Nine. That's my sweet spot. But I love it all. There are over 800 episodes of Star Trek, right? right. 800 episodes. And a lot of them are really bad. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> I'll watch all of them. I love it all. It's all great. I find the next gen episodes, some of them really wrestle with moral questions that uh, some Rush songs also try to solve. And, you know, that sometimes you don't come to an answer. It happens a lot in Star Trek and you're like, you know, maybe we can do better next time. I think it happens a lot in Rush too, with the, the, the music, the lyrics. Here's the problem. Here's some thoughts around it. Here's some ways for me to challenge your thinking. But there's not an answer. You know, one of the most powerful songs for that for me is Faithless off Snakes and Arrows. Just the way I find that to be in so many ways, like the growth of Neil's spirituality in that, you know, avowed atheist and everything, but also understands kind of the power of belief, you know, I, I guess. And so it's like, you know, I don't, I don't need all these things. I, I cling to hope and I have faith and I, you know, I believe in love. And I think that's a very Star Trek theme throughout everything. Gene Roddenberry was, was adamant in attacking religion specifically in the future because of all the negative that it has brought, you know, through our entire civilization as far back as recorded history goes. But what Neil calls out and what Next Generation and Deep Space Nine especially really started to pull out was, yeah, there's a lot of really bad stuff here. But when you have a, your own moral compass to steer by, right, when you have the things that you can believe in and stick to, then well, you can be better. And that can force you to, you know, to, to make choices that, that improve yourself and others. I think that's always been, Faithless has always been one that I'm just like, this could be a Star Trek episode. Right. <laughs> the yeah. Whole, yeah. Yeah. It's the benefit of this organizing principle for like the prime directive, I suppose, right? Yeah. That guides everything that people can rally around in place of some kind of faith in religion. Yeah. And I think another one that always, always stood out to me is witch hunt. And I think witch hunt is, has become more prevalent and appropriate to our day-to-day -day life now than it was even, even when it came out. But it's a very Star Trek theme, you know, to let fear and, and prejudice, you know, drive you and, and have that mob mentality. And that's, that's where you always get that classic Picard, you know, coming in and like the line, must be drawn here. We go no further, you know, and, <laughs> right. but I think Neil said it really well, beautifully. And then Star Trek can take it and make it like an entertaining thing to watch out of both of those great song, great episode. You, at the end of it, you're just like almost subversively. It just kind of plants these seeds in your brain where you're just one day you're watching the news and you're like, oh my God, we're living witch hunt. 
Like it's happening right. now. What can I do about that? You know, how can I help help that? Because I think as someone who really truly like believes and listens to and is inspired by the the music of Rush and Neil's lyrics and Star Trek and the message that's in there, you're, you're almost compelled to want to do something to make things better. Yeah, that would be very cool if Star Trek did an episode based on Witch Hunt. How cool would that be? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to work on it right away. You know, I have to confess, <laughs> Jeff, I have only seen one episode of Star Trek in my life. What? <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me. It's been fun, Steve, but uh, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> I have to start watching. I'm missing a lot here, aren't I? It's a great, it's a great franchise. It's really good. The, the nerdiness, it can really get in the way, you know, at first it's, it's a barrier to entry, but I mean, not to make it a self, I'll make it a shameless self-promotion. Why not? But pick one of my episodes, just you know, whatever, grab it, listen to my episode. Mm-hmm. I give you a little recap of the, of, of what happens in the show. And if you're like, oh no, not for me. Cool. Pick another one, but there's going to be one in there that you're like, yeah, yeah. I do want to know what that's about. And that can be your entry point to Star Trek. And what series would you start with if you were a newbie like me? You know, that's honestly, that's a really tough question. I would want to say the next generation, but honestly, like it's kind of rough. <laughs> it it yeah. did not age really well. Yeah. Same with the original series. The new stuff that's coming out now is re- strange new worlds. I would say watch strange new worlds, but you have to have a streaming app and, but that's everything mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. Strange new worlds is beautiful. It's very well produced and the the episodes are fantastic just a really good show so tell us again jeff where we can hear your podcast the starfleet leadership academy you can catch it anywhere you get podcasts or on my website starfleetleadership.academy and then i'm everywhere on social media at jeff t aiken so you can catch it there wherever wherever you need to find it i try to be really easy to find awesome jeff thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your rush origin story we appreciate it and we'll be listening sounds good it's been my pleasure thank you so much So, Jar, I was trying to decide whether or not to confess to Jeff that I was not a Star Trek fan. I decided to do it. I didn't know if you were going to do it either. (laughs) Well, he listens to the podcast. I think I've mentioned it before, so he knew. Have we mentioned Star Trek before? I think we have when we talked to John Petuto, and I I confessed to him that I was not a Star Trek fan. That's right. I do remember that. John, of course, is the man behind Cygnus X1, which is the website Jeff mentioned. But I really do think there's overlap in a certain kind of mentality behind some Rush songs and the overall idea of Star Trek as some kind of egalitarian society that Mm -hmm. has put all of its troubles behind them for the most part. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's still still troubles, but they've come together, you know, many different worlds have come together to try and work together toward a common end. So that's kind of Rush-like. Yeah. And I just had this crazy idea that maybe there should be a tv show based on rush songs doesn't have to be star trek wouldn't a cool black mirror type show with rush song themed episodes be cool yeah you know there's this it's not a television show but there was a book of short stories based on bruce springsteen's jungle land i think really it's a bunch of different short stories that were like set in this kind of bruce springsteen type world where you know a guy down on his luck is trying to make one last score type of thing it was a whole book of short stories it was really good Hmm. maybe someone could do that for rush songs i think it'd be a great idea yeah hopefully somebody else can work on it other than us so jared that time we only had room for three rush origin stories three little bit longer rush origin stories but i think it was well worth it i think it's always worth it i love hearing people's origin stories because everyone seems to have a Familiar yet slightly different one, right? Yeah. We have to do this again very soon, I think. Sure. You find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at the Rushcast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of the latest installment of Rush Origin Stories. The Rushcast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro. To go out, we're going to do Tears by Kathy Rankin, as we promised. Good idea. And Jerry, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this up. I do. And it's a random one that I just literally picked randomly and it's vital signs. Nice. A tired mind become a shapeshifter. Everybody need a soft filter. Everybody need reverse polarity. Everybody got mixed feelings about the function and the form. Everybody got to elevate from the norm. Awesome. Thanks, Jer. All right. See you later. Oh.
Tasted the answer 